Blog Talk Radio. Speaking of Green, I am your hostess, Beth Bond, and also curator of Sustainable News at Southeast Green, and we are so honored, 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 honored to have this conversation this morning. We are going to be speaking in a minute with Esther Calhoun, who is the president um, of the Black Belt uh, Citizens Fighting for Health and Justice group, Um, but I wanted to give you a little bit of information because this has been a very important conversation to me personally. Um, and and tell you what they're doing, and then we'll we'll bring Esther on. In 2009, Arrowhead Landfill in Uniontown became the new host for millions of cubic cubic yards of coal ash after it spilled out of a landfill in Knoxville, Tennessee, following a catastrophic dike failure. The coal ash in Tennessee contaminated land, rivers, reservoirs, and shore areas surrounding the landfill with arsenic and lead, leading the Environmental Protection Agency to conclude that there was a potential imminent and substantial endangerment to public health. Residents of Uniontown organized in opposition to what they saw as a racial and environmental injustice, speaking out against the risk to their environment and health, as well as the location of the landfill, which is across the street from several homes and next to one of the town's historic black cemeteries. Some 35 residents filed a complaint with the EPA's Office of Civil Rights under the Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The complaint alleges that the Alabama Department of Environmental Management violated their civil rights by allowing the Arrowhead landfill to locate in their predominantly black neighborhood without adequate protections for the health of residents or the environment. Some citizens also organized a concerned citizens group called Black Belt Citizens Fighting for Health and Justice which created a Facebook page that publishes publishes concerns about risk to the environment and health, and the Green Group sued over the Facebook post, which included statements, we should all have the right to clean air and water, and it affects our everyday life. Esther, thank you so much for being with us. Yes, thank you for having me. We, you are fighting a big battle in a little town that no one in Alabama really knows about, and I just want to give you total accolades for standing up and doing what's right for you and all your fellow neighbors. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, you've had some 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 successes, um, but let's start with about how this all started back in 2009 with the Arrowhead landfill. Were y'all informed that they were going to bring all that coal ash down? Yeah, yeah, they informed us uh, that they was going to bring the coal ash, but they put it in the Perry County newspaper uh, that, that in Marion, and they put, looks what's coming to Uniontown, coal ash. And, you know, it's kind of frightening to me because, simple fact, coal ash, you know, supposed to be hazardous. And, you know, coming to this small town, and, you know, we needed a landfill for for trash and stuff, but they was talking about for our, you know, they was not only talking about for our local, they were talking about different states. I think it was like 33 states. And we're going like, we can't handle all that, and plus we can't handle coal ash. That stuff is hazardous. Why is it coming here? 
and uh, I think Albert Turner was the one that was really pushing it. But not only Albert Turner, there was um, um, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Johnny Flowers. He was one of our commissioners down in this area. So I had been fighting trying to get Johnny Flowers out. Not really fighting, but uh, doing uh, you know, uh, telling people we need to get Johnny Flowers out. But it had been in the process that they was gonna bring coal ash for a minute. But it wasn't time that we did we did petitions and all that, but it didn't really matter. They said it was a done deal. So by me growing they, up in Union Town, huh? I'm sorry. I was going to say, and they never held a public hearing, right? They call themselves had a held a public public hearing, but my thing is, you held it so long, it didn't allow the people to really talk. I think we weren't allowed to talk. We weren't allowed to even, you know to do anything really about it. We tried to fight it, but then our success was very different because uh, uh, it, we didn't really do anything. But, see, you you got to know how to start and how to really fight. We'll learn a lot how to really stand up by different groups. When I be going to conference, you learn these different things like human rights and all these different things. So we had known that and how to really protest. Maybe we could have really stopped it, but – by being such a small town and not having a lot of, um, you know, pool. By being a black town, I think, you know, uh, they study areas like Uniontown, small areas, lack of education, lack of uh, uh, Internet, and how could you fight? They thought we were going to just sit and let it happen. But I grew up in Uniontown, and I grew up on plantations, and I grew up, as, you know, growing up poor and my parents didn't know how to read and all that different kind of stuff, and me graduating and leaving uh, Uniontown and going to Indiana, I learned that you can, you know, you can learn how to fight back. But then at the same time, you got to stand up for your people. And my people is not just black people. My people are my people that really want to, you know, really want to see a difference. Environmental injustice, you know, you, you say these big words, but then when you're not educated, or knowing what these big words mean, you know, you don't really know, like environmental justice, what is this? And, you know, like, this wouldn't happen in a rich white neighborhood. You know, this only happens in pe- in areas like people's of color, people's of lack of education. And, you know, a lot of things, you know, I look at ADM, I think ADM didn't even, you know, they not they didn't even help us. And no, no way did they help us by that collapse being so close to, a very special friend of mine, Della Dow, that died like three years ago, and Mr. Polk that died like six months, they was directly in front of the landfill with the coal ash. Well, and let's just explain that ADM is Alabama Department of Environmental Management. So yeah, I'll say Right, and they had done nothing to protect you all. Now, I want to ask a couple questions about the coal ash, because coal ash historically – is stored um, in water because it's so fine and the particulate matter gets in the air, and so they store it in water, which is why they had that dike failure up on the river north of Knoxville. So did they put did they put it in water when they brought it down to you, or is it is it just in heaps? It's it's in a it's in a uh, uh, I think they they put it in these big containers that said that. You know, by Uniontown having a lot of chalk, you know, chalk soil, or, you know, that's what it, they said it's supposed to protect it from getting into the water. But 
to my understanding, they, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people's talk, like some of the people that work, they would say, like, they put it in there, they put the coal ash in there, and they put the trash on top of it, and then they get leachage off of it, the water, like, so, you know, my thing is, I can't understand it, you know, my thing is, I don't care where you put it, my thing is, it come from Kingston, Tennessee, and it was hazardous in that abandonment, rich area and it comes 350 miles on a railroad, you know, in a train booth and it's not hazardous. What happened to that hazardous part? What happened to that poison? What happened to that arsenic? You know, I don't care where you put it if it's if it's supposed to be hazardous, it's supposed to be hazardous. So what changed that? And that's what my thing is. If they could tell me how they got the hazardous part out of coal ash, then, you know, I could, you know, I'll close my case. But you can't tell me what you did with it. And how come, you know, just because it's in a black neighborhood and a poor neighborhood, a majority black neighborhood, I would say, but uh, uh, but it's a, you know, majority black neighborhood, what happened to the hazardous part? You know, those people that was in Kingston, Tennessee, they had masks on, they was treated like this stuff was hazardous, and then when they get on the train booth, you know, they had to wash the train booths off because they said this stuff was poison. So you get down here, you're watching the train booth, train booth stall off, and then, but what about the people that the dust and all this stuff is going into their homes and they can't, you know, they fear of, of, of their gardens and fear of washing clothes? Because when you live in a country, you know, last we all know, you wash clothes, you have a garden, you enjoy your everyday life, but this is totally destroyed. Most at least it's destroyed my life because that's where my trailer was. My parents, when I moved back home in 1994, they had a trailer that right directly where it was. But it really destroyed a lot of people's lives because the simple fact you got to put yourself in these people's position. A lot of these people was had property that was inherited from their parents, and here come this big old dump with coal ash, and and you know it's hazardous, but they saying it's not because. Oh, it's in this in this landfill, and it's in the majority black area. But it was hazard in another state. And now, you know, you put your are, huh? I'm sorry. Now, I have re- um, we had posted an article on the website that after the coal ash arrived, that you actually started to see health issues. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. I talked to, you know, like I grew up in this area where my grandfather was living. His name was Jeff Hudson. When he was living as being a child, he used to take all of us, all his grandkids, on Sundays we would visit everybody in Uniontown. I mean, you know, the majority of the people in the country. Like when we kill a hog, we would share our hog or we had anything like corn, okra, all our little crops. And uh, we would share with other people. But, you know, as knowing people and then knowing how people's health is, because it's a small town. To me, I know the majority of all the people that live in Uniontown. You know, I, I have a relation, you know, not a relationship, but everybody knows me because I'm friendly and I love people. But, as we, you know, I notice a lot of people's had uh, uh, heart attacks. They had, a lot of people have kidney problems. I have neuropathy. I'm not a diabetic. I don't know where it came from. I have talked to people like you have a conversation. And neuropathy, a lot of people want to know what neuropathy is. It's a nerve damage. And the the symptoms are your feet are burning. You have, uh, my symptoms are, I would say, is I have little feelings in my right leg. And I noticed the day that, like, three years or more, I noticed that one day, like, uh, 
I was taking a bath. No, at first it started off, I had numbness. I thought I was having a stroke. But then I went to the emergency room. They put my arm in a sling. And then later on, I went to see uh, this doctor that was in Selma. And uh, I was telling him about what was going on. But before then, I was taking a bath, and the water was extremely hot. And I put my right leg into the tub. And I didn't feel it. But when I put my left leg into the tub, I almost broke my neck jumping out of the tub. The tub, and I'm like, oh God, what's going on? So that's when I went to the doctor over there in Selma, and they sent me to the neurologist, and they did a, uh, you know, a test and uh, a nerve to, uh, test, and they found out that I not only have it in my right leg, but I got it in my left leg, and I did the testing to find out that uh, that I had neuropathy, because you know my thing was that. I didn't know what was going on and like my nerve damage. He said nerve damage is not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. So I had to be careful how I use my right leg because sometimes I get out of bed, I go straight to the floor. or I have to be careful how I use the right leg because sometimes I'm sitting, it goes numb. My feet is burning completely all the time. I mean, it's like fire. And, you know, I got medicine, but that medicine doesn't really do me any good. So clearly there's lots of challenges um, based on, um, and, you know, sometimes it's hard because it's not direct, right? You can't necessarily directly link your neuropathy to the issues. That's the problem with these environmental justice issues, right? There's all kinds of things that start happening in the community, and no one can really point a finger to it, but it's amazing how they all started after an injustice has happened in the community. Yes, we have a lot of, you know, environmental injustice. We got the cheese plant that smells like hoggish smell. We got the lagoon that's overflowing into the creek that goes to Cottonwood Creek. Later on, end up to somewhere like the Medifair, and that's that's like raw sewage going into the creek. We have so many problems that if you link ADAM to these sewage problems and all this other stuff, which they allow to happen because that's a violation, but they say Union Town don't have any money because we are broke. But there's no excuse. When you do wrong, you need the consequence. When my child do wrong, he, you know, goes out to, you know, something happened behind that. You can't pat people on the back because, oh, where did this start? Okay, you want to say it's the mayor's fault, but it's not only the mayor's fault and the city council fault to allow this to happen. ADM has allowed this to happen. But if this had been a white neighborhood, a rich neighborhood, then none of this stuff would be happening. We wouldn't have to deal with all these environmental injustices. That's what I'm saying. Just because you're a color of uh, the lack of education, these things shouldn't be going on. We shouldn't have to right. live like this. We, you know, we deserve clean air and clean water. What else can you expect? You know, what else? Right. Do, you know what I'm saying? To me, Absolutely. I feel, you know, I think, you know, I really feel like I'm in prison. You can't have, enjoy your everyday life. And that's why I moved to the country, to enjoy my everyday life. And then you're dealing with all these issues, kidney problems, all these doggone issues that's going on. We shouldn't have these problems. If I want to smoke and have cancer, that's my problem. But, you know, like, I live directly beside the railroad track. When the coal ash was coming in, I saw it daily. You know, dust was on my house my, where I was living in my brother's house. It's daily. You can see it. And I walk the railroad track. So you can't tell me that we haven't got affected by all these different environmental injustices. You know, I feel that, and I really think that it has something to do with it. Why do we have to always be the people that, let's see if it's going to kill them. Let's see if it kills the poor. Let's see if it kills the black. You know, they can't say much. Who's going to listen to them? You know what? That's what well, I'm saying. We, Huh? 
I was going to say it is an absolute proven fact. There are studies that have been done all over the country that when things like coal ash and um, I also know you're dealing with the catfish plant, um, I did not know about the cheese factory. So, I mean, clearly, I mean, y'all are like the town that has just got the big target on your back. But it's absolutely proven that when toxicity kind of manufacturing goes in and chooses their locations, it is always a neighborhood of color. Always. Yes. Always neighborhood of color. It is. Huh? And I was going to say, it's disgusting. This absolutely it, it, should not be happening. Yeah, it's it's really disgusting, but a lot of people say, well, I didn't know it was a cheese plant. Look, I invite you to come to Uniontown. Come visit. Come stay with in Uniontown just one day and, 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 and not take my word. Just come in and see. See it for yourself. Just come take a tour with me. I would love to just take people for a tour. Come see this for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Just come see it for yourself because Arrowhead Landfill, you know, by them, you know, I'm one of the people that uh, I have ancestors out in that cemetery uh, that's next to the landfill. And my thing when the landfill, you know, I feel y'all think, you know, you got a way of saying it because we were sued for $30 million. But my thing is when the landfill first, they knew that the lay, that the cemetery was to the landfill. They bumped some of the graves along with our uh, the chairman of the uh, the uh, commissioner Ron Miller. He knew it was his grave. But when they bumped the grave, y'all, when they was building this water uh, monitor of this gas monitor right next Jack's, you know, on the land, probably I think just on the the line, or it was, it was partly on the cemetery property. Uh, they bumped some of the graves because most of the graves don't have headstones. And this, these graveyards was given to the blacks in 1858. And my thing is, you know, that's a graveyard. You don't take heavy equipment out into the graveyard. But the first time they did it, it was a forgiving spot. You know, they bumped the graves. They said they were sorry. They're going to help maintain it. But they didn't take heavy equipment out there. This about, I don't know how many years ago, like three or four years ago, they took heavy equipment out there. They went out there with bulldozers and all this different stuff. They, uh, I see, and I know that this is Ron Miller's, which is our commissioner's bulldozer. He allowed them to use it and own my people's grave. And I'm saying my dad is still living. And he said, the cemetery is my, my brother, his son, which is my brother, the graves are right on the line. And I told the landfill, on, I mean, the landfill owner and also Mr. Mike Smith that my people's graves are right here. You got this big old heavy cement on my people's grave. But do you think he did anything? The next thing he did, he took a heavy, they had the heavy equipment going through the midst of the cemetery. Like, we don't know where our loved ones are. And, and my thing is, bothers me because, the simple fact, it doesn't bother me to hate. It bothers me because I must still speak out because, simple fact, you have disturbed my, my loved one's grave. Not only my loved one, you have disturbed a black cemetery. You know what I'm saying? You don't do that. that are, that's their final resting place. Yes, right. historic. historic but, who, but, the, but what are the historical people doing? The historical people are not doing anything. They're allowing this to happen. I walked through the cemetery. It was kind of woody, but God was taking care of the wilderness. You know what I'm saying? But they didn't go out there, uh, you know, uh, uh, digging up stuff, trees and this and that. And then I've walked out there. First, I seen some headstone. Then the headstone came up missing. 
the landfill, I know, I feel, I think, that the landfill took the headstones off the grave. So why are you taking the headstones off the grave? What are you finna do? Then we walked out there. I walked out there. We have pictures that they have gas monitors out there. They have moved gas monitors from one place to another. My thing is, and I feel that they're saying they own the graveyard. They own the cemetery. How can you own my people? You know, my black people. I don't know how far it goes back, but I know it's my great-grandma out there, which is Annie Hudson and Elbert Hudson is my grandfather and my brother's name, Robert Hudson. He died at the age of two in the 1950-something. But my thing is, you said you own the cemetery. You're a white man, but I don't have anything. I'm not prejudiced. I love, I can get along with anybody. I love people, period. But my thing is, you saying you own the cemetery, and then you want to give the cemetery to your committee. How can you have a committee? You're a white man. You're a white, you know, you're a white company. But then you trying to divide. I feel that they are trying to come out divide the community because you got a group of people that don't really have people out there in the cemetery, and you're going to say you're giving them the cemetery. You know, I gave them some property, and I'm giving you this. You can't give anybody a cemetery. I think the law in Alabama says you can buy the property around the cemetery, but you can never buy a cemetery. You know, if that's what I'm saying, then this is where my fight goes, not only with the cemetery, because I have to keep my mind, and my group has to keep their mind on their goals. Our goal is environmental injustice. Our goal is having rights, you know, and I'm going to classes. I'm learning all. We're going to different classes. I'm learning each and every day, but I'm learning as being on a $30 million lawsuit. Man, I can't even count to $30 million. You know what I'm saying? That was one of their strategies of doing this, but, you know, of suing us and saying, trying to shut us up. And I think it just don't give me strength. It gave my group strength because, look, you're trying to sue us, a small group, nonprofit group, uh, for not speaking out. As long as I'm saying what's right, I don't have a problem with speaking out because I don't have a reason to lie. And we're <laughs> teaching other groups. Huh? I'm sorry. I'm just, I want to be clear for our listeners. Who sued y'all for $30 million? Green Group Holdings Senate sued us for $30 million for things that were said on the uh, on the Facebook. I mean, it was true. To me, it was true. I, you know, the things you're doing, if you take a tour, I tell people, come take a tour. Don't just, just don't read everything and believe everything. Come to the town, ask for a tour. Black Belt Citizens will be glad to take you on a tour. See what we see and see us as environment. I mean, see us our our rights are violated. I mean, and who is this you know, green group? They're the landfill group. They're the landfill owners. So they basically named themselves green to sort of confuse the issue. Green group. They have. They came out being two different. They came out being two different. They have changed their names twice. They have did. Uh, I think they have uh, did uh, what you call. They went on bankrupts. Because of the same, the time that a part of some of the people, about sixty some people, I think, had sued the landfill, but for little money, they didn't get enough to relocate like Kingston did. I mean, you you, you can sue, but then you don't get enough money to relocate. But then you live in an area that some of the people don't even own their own property. Some of the people are still renting, and it's it's devastating because you have built your house, you have moved and retired home, and your property is not really worth what it was worth before Green Group came here. I mean, it's, it's 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 horrifying. It's blood pressure problems. You know what I'm saying? It, it makes you mad, yeah. but then not at the point of not wanting to fight back. But then you have to look at most of the majority of the people living in that area are elderly people, and you know they they tired. You know what I'm saying? And then you can't right. really get you can't really get a good doctor to say, "Hey, I see a difference." 
hey, I see this, this, this right here. I see your health change since coal ash came. You know, a lot of people are scared and afraid to stand up before these people. But my thing is, I look at Martin Luther King, I look at Rosa Parks, I look at all these different people that went out and did different things, and they stood up. If they had not stood up, I understand what they went through, but at the same time, if you keep your mind and your heart on your goals and you keep your, you know, you got to stay focused. Focus on right. not hate. Because you can easily hate. With this this happening in Uniontown, you can easily hate. But then if people would stand up for what's right, and not because, well, I don't like them. They starting a lot of different stuff. It's not, we're not, we're not starting anything, but we have a right. If you know you're right, then just like we have a right for freedom of speech. I heard that in school. I heard that many times, but ACLU brought it out. We had a right to speak out. We had a right, freedom of speech. And that's something they're still not saying. I think they're still not letting people know that we have a right for freedom of speech. They said we lied and said this and that. But you have a right for freedom of speech. I have a right to say what I feel, I think. I've I, I learned a lot. So really, they helped us. You know, really, you think you really put our head up under the the uh, the bushes or trees or dirt, but really, you helped us. You helped us learn more. You helped us learn our rights. You know, you giving us the power to tell other people that, hey, you have a right to speak out. You know, you have a right. right to protect your community, and that's what we are doing. We are trying to protect our community because I love Uniontown. You know, I love where I live, and it used to be a beautiful place. But people don't stand up because they're afraid to stand up, because of police right. brutality, because of things fighting back like that. Majority black town, and you stand up, then you got all these things coming towards you because I'm a, I'm a witness because my son went through a lot. He was dramatized. Nothing was. He was dramatized because he was cut at age 2004 when he graduated. He was going to school to be a, a state trooper. But this girl cut him on his privacy, and my child was dramatized. I went through police brutality. I went through uh, my son tried to do suicide a many times, but he went through something. He can't even really focus. Right now, he focused real good for where he's at now because he had some people didn't care what color he is. They gave him a right. He went through some changes. But the things I've been through and, and how my son's rights have been violated, my son, which is Jamaris Johnson, he's my hero. He's given me the power and to keep continue to fight because the things happened to him that he said, whatever they did to him, he said, you know, he thought it was his fault. It wasn't really his fault. They did him wrong. His rights was violated. But he's my strong soldier. And, you know, just like I said, a lot of stuff goes on in Uniontown you wouldn't really know until you start talking to the people. And some of the people now in Uniontown, they're not afraid to stand up because of what I've been through and some of the people we'll talk to. Because we got too much going on. We got voter fraud going on. You say, why don't you vote some more people in? How can you vote when you got voter fraud going on? How do y'all know I got fraud out? We got a lot of proof. You know, my thing is, you know. My thing is, a lot of things going on that people like Martin Luther King and a lot of other people fought for us to get a right to vote for who we want to. But now at the right. point in time, you got city councils and all these different people that don't know nothing about environment. It's all about the money. I think it's all about the money. It's all about the money. It it's is not all about, about the money. what you can do. It's it all is. about power. You know, and then yeah. again, it's all about power. You know the power to keep people shut up. The power right. of not letting people have their everyday life. You know, my thing is, I, 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 you know, I get to the point, I get excited sometimes, you know, going to speak to all these different things, but then to let people know what's really going on, they'd be like, oh, wow, how did it get so far? Because a lot of people right. are afraid to stand up. 
It, 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 a, lot, a lot of people are afraid to stand up. Not only Union Town affected with the cheese plant, you go to Farnsdale, if you wind your window down and come through here on a sunny day, we deal with flies, we deal with nets, we deal with all this foul smell. I don't even understand how the kids can eat their lunch when they walk out of high school into the cafeteria and they got to walk and get that, that smell hit them in the face. Bang. I mean, well, Esther, we're about to run out of time, so I want to make sure that people <laughs> get there, get um, contact information. So you have a website and you have a Facebook page, right? Yes. And so um, people mm-hmm. will Google Black Belt Citizens Fighting for Health and Justice. They will find that. Um, I have an email address for if people want to, um, if anybody is listening and they want to get press out there or come take a tour of Uniontown, they can email bbcfhj.aj at gmail.com. Let me give it to you again. bbcfhj.aj at gmail.com. And Esther, I hope some of our listeners take you up on your offer, and they come out and visit and see what's happening because it is it is an injustice, and we cannot tolerate it. So, no, we cannot um, we, tolerate it. Right, and we really, really appreciate your time and your spirit and your determination to make sure that Uniontown starts to be treated with respect that it deserves. And we will look forward to seeing you in August um, when I'm down in that area talking climate justice. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me. Uh Uh-huh. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. I I really have been following this since 2009. The minute they told me the Kingston's bill at Coal Ash was going to go to Alabama, I've been following it. The fact that, and this is an issue for every southern state. The fact that small towns and big, but in particular small towns because that's what they target because they come in and they promise jobs, do not have the ability to have a public hearing and have a choice about whether this coal ash comes into their town is a complete injustice. And I stand with everyone from Uniontown to wherever wherever else you are that this cannot happen. Now, the state of Georgia had an opportunity to grant small cities, I mean small towns in Georgia, a public hearing because right now in Georgia you do not get a public hearing if someone wants to bring in coal ash. Uniontown got coal ash because of a, a specific tragedy. But the reality of it is is we still 40% of our electricity generated in this country generated through coal. Coal has coal ash. It's not like you just burn coal and it goes away. Coal ash is a massive, massive problem, and people, sorry, companies are looking for places to get rid of their coal ash problem. And so now in South Georgia, landfills are starting to see this as an opportunity to make money, but this is a public health crisis, and it is discrimination against small towns across the southeast and y'all, we have to fight it. Now, one of the best ways to fight it on an everyday basis is to make choices to reduce your energy consumption. The less energy we use, the less issues we have with coal ash. The other thing is, is you need to get in front of your city, county, 
state officials and start having this conversation because we can't afford to do to have more union towns. We can't afford it, and it's and it's completely unjust. Georgia Power does an excellent job of doing um, of controlling their coal ash. They um, I'm, it, it, look coal ash is toxic, but Georgia Power at least is a model for not having these issues, and I really want to applaud them for that. But that doesn't mean that there's a bunch of folks up north who don't want to send more coal ash down here. So please, please, please find a way to get involved with this issue. Uh, get involved with an environmental organization in your state. Be active with your, uh, your, your elected officials. And let's make sure that Uniontown, A, gets the justice it deserves, and B, that it doesn't happen to any other of our, any other of our small towns in the southeast. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Um, I really appreciate um, Esther's time, her passion, and in, and um, just really comes through, I think, in the interview. And I, we just wish them the best of luck, and we will continue. I am absolutely, totally dedicated to continuing to follow this issue. We have three episodes coming up next week, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, because I messed up yesterday, and I apologize to our guests yesterday. So please stay with us, and um, we're going to be talking about some sustainable business. Uh, but actually, we've got three businesses that are doing things to change the way we live to make our planet more sustainable. So I'm very excited about that. Also, please remember that we have the Southeast Green uh, Business Directory. We are already at 1.3 million page views for the month, and that means that your business could have been in front of people all month long, we're having the best month we've ever had, and I appreciate to all the people who come and visit with Southeast Green and share and learn. If you want to find um, articles, I'm going to put on the page notes on Southeast Green um, links to the articles we have about Uniontown. But if you are listening on the podcast or uh, on Blog Talk Radio, um, if you'll hop over to um, Southeast Green, and we have a section on Alabama, and you'll find all the articles about Uniontown. But it's probably better to go to the Speaking of Green page on this episode because they'll all be organized for you. Great. All right, everybody. Are you pumped? Are you excited? Are you enthusiastic? We can change the world through small steps, patience, and determination, just like Esther. We are signing out with Jeff Hicks and the Heretics, Life's Peach. <laughs>